Good People, Cool Things is a podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. Get inspired by their stories to do your own cool thing. And here's your host, Joey Held. Welcome to Good People, Cool Things. Today's guest is John Copenhaver, author, writer, teacher, podcast, radio show, co-host, book reviewer, all the different things. And we're talking all about his latest book, The Savage Kind, his focus on certain areas like the LGBTQ plus community, the femme fatale iconic trope, the 1940s and 50s historical eras. There's lots of good stuff going down in this episode. We're also talking about some of the tools he uses for outlining and making sure his mystery books are all tied together nicely because there's a lot, there's a lot of threads that you like to pull at in these types of books. Additionally, we're chatting about his teaching career and how he incorporates that into his writing and how teaching and writing full of a lot of different similarities, which is always a fun time. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at GPCT Podcast. And you can always head over to goodpeoplecoolthings.com, pick you up some cozy merch, pick up a copy of a book, settle in and lean back during these fantastic conversations like this one with John. For people who aren't familiar with you, can you give us your name and your elevator pitch? Can you also tell us the type of elevator that we're riding on? Right. So my name is John Copenhaver, and I am a historical mystery writer. Um, I've written two books, first of which was uh, Dodging and Burning, and the second of which, which is out now, is The Savage Kind. Um, Both are set in the 1940s, and I'm very interested about uh, LGBTQ plus lives during those time periods. Um, the Savage Kind is my uh, homage to the femme fatale character. I like to think of it as kind of the coming of age story that she deserves because I've always been in love with that character, but she always kind of gets a bad rap. And I think, um, I, I mean, what, by that, I mean, she is always vilified without being understood. And so I, um, I decided to take, uh, these two teenage girls in 1948 DC, um, and, uh, they bond together in, in friendship, which might become something more. And then they solve a mystery together. Um, and so the, um, the, the mystery involves, uh, their English teacher, and they're both bonded by this English teacher. They both love her, see her as a kind of uh, ideal, um, but he, they also uh, start learning things about themselves and about her that lead them down a dark path. And I, I really wanted to play around with the idea that, uh, you know, some choices that we may see as amoral, um, you know, particularly at a certain point in history in the 1940s coming to, in, into the 1950s, might be done for reasons that are more complicated than they seem on the surface, which I think connects back to this idea of the femme fatale as the sort of the evil woman character. Maybe there are reasons why the femme fatale is doing some of the things she was doing uh, that we could understand and, and sympathize with. You said how both of your novels are set in this, you know, historical sort of realm. Was Have you always been like a history, history buff, history geek, however you want to phrase it? Or is that something that you kind of picked up as you, you know, had these life experiences and were learning about things that happened before us? You know, that's a good question. The truth is, I'm not really a history buff. Um, 
you know, I think my love, uh, you know, of the time period really comes through the literature and the film from that time period. I am a film buff um, and been very drawn to the great film noir um, that came out through the 1940s and early 50s. Uh, they were so innovative and gorgeously filmed and had such rich sort of exploration of moral dilemmas um, in a time period that I don't think was fully aware of what it was always exploring or there's always sort of a tension there. So I was very drawn to that, those, um, which is probably what drew me to the 1940s. Uh, it's also an interesting sort of time socially uh, for uh, the U.S. We've just come through uh, the Second World War. Um, and which was, a, I wouldn't say full time of openness, but there's a lot more openness and togetherness and accept, acceptance during the war. Um, and, and then we had the 1950s, which is an incredibly socially conservative time period. And I wanted to play around with the idea of both women and, 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 um, and then actually in the follow-up to the, the savage kind, um, gay men too, um, struggling to, you know, find agency during a really conservative and complex time period. So um, I think that the, it's really the, the specific time, I guess what I'm saying is the specific time period I'm drawn to. I'm not sort of a general history buff. Um, and I don't think I would necessarily reach, you know, back to some, you know, random times. It's certainly something about the 20th century and the dynamic social dynamics uh, mid-century that I find fascinating and troubling and in times not all that different from our current, you know, some things we're dealing with currently. So um, anyway, yeah, as I you were going it, through all of that, I was like, this sounds very uh, spot on with what right, <laughs> we're right, doing. Right. History like is that. cyclical, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we can't assume progress is a straight line upward. Right? <laughs> <laughs> It's like the stock market when it's when it's starting to crash, everyone panics. It's like no, no, no. Look at a long line. Right. Like this happens. Right, right, exactly. It's fine. It's fine. Zoom out a bit. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, one of the things you you left out of your uh, introduction was that the Savage Kind has gotten a very nice review from the New York Times, which I think for a lot of writers is like. I mean, the equivalent of like a gold star in elementary school where you're just like, yes, I got this. So what was what was your reaction to seeing that? Uh, elation. Yeah, <laughs> it really was. Um, it felt so good. Um, I, you know, I think another part of that is there just aren't that many LGBTQ writers reviewed anywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, back out a little bit. Reviews are for anyone are hard to come by. Um, and so it is it's definitely hard to, to get the attention of, you know, the New York Times, sort of the ultimate place to be reviewed, I, I guess. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, that was a positive review was good, too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they say, you know, any exposure is good, but I don't know. I definitely prefer positive exposure. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, it was great. It was a great feeling. It was a lovely review. Um, and, uh, you know, I think. Felt, uh, felt, you know, good to see that the, the book landed that way and I think continues to, um, you know, strike people as interesting and unusual. Um, and uh, I think that's very satisfying for me. Uh, and there's some other reviews from, um, uh, I guess, less notable, you know, uh, uh, media outlets that have been, you know, had a little more space uh, that they could allot to really, you know, 
having a conversation about the book and those have been really satisfying to read as well. So, I mean, it certainly feels good for the exposure. I think that um, any thoughtful review though is very meaningful to me as a writer. Um, I also do book reviews. So I'm always aware of that from the other side as well. So, um, so at one point, yeah, I certainly New York times is wonderful, but you know, any review that really kind of digs in and tries to understand um, the book and what I'm after is a cool feeling. Yeah. I think just having like, it's, it's still such an odd feeling. I feel like sometimes that people are reading your writing and then to hear like the kind feedback from that, you're just like, wow, that's amazing. Right. Right. I think that's true. I mean, I think a lot of times, like, I mean, they say, you know, work of art's not really done until you've got the, the viewer or the reader sort of completing it. I guess I really do buy into that. Like, I don't think it really matters unless someone reads it. Um, you know, just to have written it is only part of it. And so when people engage with it in a really intelligent and thoughtful way, um, I find that just it's very satisfying. And I feel like if that's, oh, that's why I'm doing this, right? You know? <laughs> Have any reviews either from a publication or a reader review or anything like that uh, explored a theme or, or, you know, read into something where you were like, oh, I, I wasn't even intending that at all. But that, and it like really was just a pleasant surprise to, to hear that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm trying to think of a, a, an example. I, th- I think there must have been at, at different times. Um, you know, someone seeing something about it. I, 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 t- I tend to think, um, I don't know if I had a moment like where someone said, you know, there was this whole motif that you didn't see in it. You know, <laughs> I mean, I would love for that to happen. That would be super cool because I'm all about the fact that there's like sort of a subconscious thread. It's a, it's truly about self-discovery writing, I think. And, and I've discovered those threads myself during the process of writing but I, ha- I haven't had somebody sort of point out something before. And I would love for that to happen. That would be super exciting because then it's like you're, you know, you're unintentionally like has have designed something that, that you know, um, I think is speaking to people. Um, and I do believe people should bring their interpretations to something as long as they're engaging with it, you know, deeply um, and not sort of writing across the surface of it and then forming opinion. Um, so, I mean, I think that, yeah, I would love, so I don't, I wish I had a good story at all, <laughs> uh, but maybe I will. And if anyone wants to try, please. <laughs> dissect it, Dis- yeah. dissect away. I'm an English teacher too. So, you know. Oh, love, love, yes. Uh, and we'll, we'll touch on that a right. little bit too. Cause I think that that definitely, uh, adds an interesting element to things. This is a little bit of an aside, but I had recently seen a clip like on the, um, the topic of kind of you know, dissecting and, and breaking down songs. I think it was uh, the Kelly Clarkson show. I think that's what it's called. Just the Kelly Clarkson. And she was interviewing Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters and was talking about the song learn to fly. Uh, and she was like, you know, it's, it's so like, I, I've always loved that song. It's about, you know, like achieving your dreams, like reaching to the sky and, you know, like all these things that you can accomplish. And she's like, what were you thinking when you were writing that song? And Dave Grohl was like, I mean, I was just like, oh, it'd be cool to be a pilot and like actually fly. Like there wasn't like a metaphor or anything. And she was just like, she's like, what? And he's like, but that's the cool thing about music. It's like, that's what you take from it. And I think that's the same thing about novels and like reading and writing. Like not everyone's going to interpret things the same way. And that's so cool to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's, that's 
why it's, you know, when you can craft something that has some uh, openness to interpretation uh, or invites the reader to, you know, interpret it in some way, I think that can be very powerful because then the reader, the listener, the viewer, you know, whatever is participating in a, and I think, uh, now, I mean, not everything can be that way and that's fine too, but it, I think certainly, um, you know, fiction that functions that way can certainly be pretty, pretty powerful. And, and, and I think back to that idea of it's not completed until the reader sort of completed the story, you know, it's, that's a cool idea. Now, The Savage Kind is your second novel. Yes. Uh, and it, it, I believe you dropped that there's a follow-up. So you've got a third book yeah, on the way. I have two. Well, so Savage Kind is uh, first in a trilogy um, about the same two uh, uh, female characters who will go. The next one will be set in 1954 and the last one 1963. So we kind of span the 1950s. And each one has a mystery and there's threads from the first one woven through all of them. But I had to, before I published this, I was kind of had to sit down and figure all this out mm-hmm. because, because it's a lot of, it's a lot of threads. Um, and as a, a mystery writer, you're dealing with lots of different, um, you know, uh, plot lines and clues and, uh, I really wanted to know where all this was headed. So I did write up and have outlines for the two uh, books to, that followed this. And I've started the, the second one um, because, you know, I just felt like I couldn't send the first one to the world without knowing a bit where everything's going. Um, I don't, that doesn't mean there won't be surprises, you know, in store for me as I write them, but uh, I did feel like I had to do that. So yeah, we got, we got, I got some work to do too. <laughs> <laughs> now there, I guess it's, it's kind of a two part question. I, one with your second novel, what did you learn from the first novel that you were like, Oh, I can apply to this and make maybe, you know, an element that was very difficult the first time, try and make that a little easier. And then for the outlining, do you use any kind of like software for it? Are you like a, you know, a beautiful mind, like big chalkboard, and you've got like all kinds of equations and arrows pointing out and maybe some yarn attaching things. How does that look like for you? Uh, well, I think that as I continue to grow as a writer, I do, I think, planning more in advance is something that I I think I'm, I'm leaning to doing. I, dodging and burning, I kind of wandered into... Um, and then figure it out. I, I do tend to let care. I do want the characters to lead, not the plot. So I don't want to, I don't want to make that mistake of having the plot drive the characters. Um, Cause I think we read mainly for character. Um, so, you know, but I did that to a great degree with dodging and burning and I just got in a tangle. And I, I think I wrote, rewrote the first hundred pages of dodging and burning, like 50 times. It feels like, it feels like I'm sure it wasn't entirely, you know, 50 times, but it felt like that. And, um, which is exhausting. <clears throat> and, you know, I think I learned some of that through the savage kind, but I mean, honestly, I don't think I learned, I probably listened enough because <laughs> I did a lot of rewriting of this one too. <laughs> um, and I, in fact, it was third person initially, and now I shifted it to two, uh, first person narrators. Um, uh, so, you know, I think certainly maybe what I'm learning is patience, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I have to say having outlined the one that I'm working on now, it's kind of a relief. I, I know, I know where the story is headed and that feels good. 
Um, and so I'm not so sure that I won't become more of an outliner of anything. A lot of mystery writers do end up going down that path, but not all of them by any means. Um, but, uh, and mine are legitimate mysteries. They're not thrillers by that. I mean, there is a, there is a, there are clues, there's a crime and, you know, there is the potential for the reader to solve it. If they're paying it close attention, it's not a thriller where it's just sort of more about moving forward in action and intention. This is, um, much more of a, you know, a, 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 a true puzzle mystery. Um, and both of them are, and I want to, you know, keep that going cause I really enjoy that, but I don't want that, that sort of highly like plotted structure to impinge upon on the character development, which I still think is the chief thing that needs to lead any book. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other question you asked me was about what uh, I use for outlining. Um, well, the truth is I don't, I mean, my, my outlines are really just uh, in, a, in like a Word document, but uh, what I do use uh, is a program called Scrivener. And Scrivener is amazing at big works, particularly how it allows you to shift around scenes and visualize and contain all your research in one program. Um, I think I, I love it. I write in it. Um, and, uh, you know, I eventually I'll make outline initially, and then I plug that outline into Scrivener. So I have it all there ready, ready for me to do. And then if I see like, oh, I think this scene needs to be in a different place. I'll, I can easily shift it around visually. Um, so I definitely, I recommend it all the time to folks. I think you have to be willing to give up your work, your attachment to word though, <laughs> uh, which I have, I, I kind of hate word. I, <laughs> I love, uh, I work in Google Docs as a teacher and I work in Scrivener as a writer, but of course the whole publishing industry wants everything on Word. So it all has to be downloadable in that form and sent off in that form. So <laughs> anyway, I wish yeah. I had kind of one of those things where I like was pulling strings and doing all that, but that would just be a big mess. I, I'm not a messy guy. I can't do that. It wouldn't help me at all. I just get lost in that. It'd be more like art than it would be anything useful. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I always feel that way when I see like a big post-it board or something where I'm like, this looks so impressive. And if it works for you, more power to you, but it would, it would end poorly for me. (laughs) Of course, one of the other elements that I think uh, some writers really enjoy and others completely hate is the marketing side of things. um, Because writing the book only half the battle as, or uh, as some people would say, probably 10% of the battle and then 90% is, is getting people to read it. So obviously coming on great podcasts like this is one way. Uh, how else have you, have you found marketing your work um, or where else have you found success with marketing your work and maybe areas where you're like, I thought this was going to be good and it ended up not being so good. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a talk about a puzzle mystery. Uh, <laughs> yeah. How this mar- is the next book actually. It's just <laughs> figuring out how, how to market, how to market your book um, <laughs> without a solution. I couldn't give you a solution. Um, so I could give you lots of clues, uh, and some, a lot of red herrings. Uh, I don't, I mean, I think that, uh, I, I do feel strongly that if you're going to go through all the trouble and the, the burden and toil, you know, of writing a book and then just not attempt to market it, you're really selling yourself short. So I, I definitely, you gotta get behind it as an author. Um, and I think more than ever, and this is somewhat understandable, uh, people expect you to, 
they don't just want the book. They want, you know, the sort of a bit of the personality and the context behind the book. Um, and so I think going on things like podcasts or, or um, just, you know, any sort of online interview, uh, whether it's Instagram or something like that, it can be really great pl- places to market and talk about your, your book. I also enjoy conversations about, you know, I enjoy having conversations about the book. Um, I don't enjoy reading from it because I feel like readings don't capture what a novel is doing very well. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, where poetry can be really performative and powerful. It's hard to like read a five minute scene from the savage kind and feel like you're really offering folks much. Um, and I'm just not, that's not my skill set really. I have to practice a lot. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that, that, you know, and I'm not so sure that actually makes people pick up the book. Uh, I think people are more interested in the context, um, the, how the, what the book might say about culture or society today, how it maybe is giving them some, some new like perspective on something. Um, I think that's important and just, uh, so a little reading doesn't always do that. Um, uh, you get a flavor for the voices, but that's about it. So I, I tend to be someone that wants to like do interviews and that sorts of things. Um, certainly, uh, getting your book reviewed is really helpful. Um, it's hard though. And a lot of the same people who are reviewing and the people who are writing and trying to publish their own books, like I'm that way. And so we yeah. and I have full-time day jobs. So, you know, it's hard. It's hard to find reviewers. Um, I think one thing I would say often is, um, you know, being or trying to see how you can participate more does in the community in any sort of way is a great way of marketing yourself, but doing it in a way that's also helping other people. Um, I think that can be really powerful and meaningful uh, and not so like, you know, like you have to show up and try to force your book on someone because that's never a good feeling and people don't really like it. It doesn't really work very well either. Um, yeah, I think so, people can tell when they're uh, oh, <laughs> people yeah. are just be, have the ulterior motive behind. Uh, yeah, it's just not good. It's not good. Um, and so I think um, you know, but in terms of just, I think the thing that still puzzles me is like the degree that social media actually sells books. Um, I'm not. Sh- I feel like I just there's a big question mark in my head over it. I, I think if you can blunderbuss somehow, you have a great marketing team and a lot of money, and it's just like every time you open social media, you see a book, you get that book cover. Then I think that's probably working. Um, but I think it's almost got to be so intense that it, that that's the level it's getting. Um, and I do. I see other authors who have. You know, they. You know, I. I Pegasus, my publishers is smaller, so they don't have a huge mountain of money to put behind marketing. They're very resourceful, connected, and they really love pairing with the author and are very supportive of me. Um, you know, even from the cover, I got to I got to sort of participate in making and not making it, but rather getting my input on the cover. Um, and I just got a review from someone on Instagram. They're like, "Oh, oh my gosh, a cover that really fits the contents." I was like, "Yes." <laughs> Um, so, you know, I think, I think, but I think in a lot of cases, like you just, the money and the manpower behind marketing, just you, the book has to be everywhere. Um, and it was kind of nice. I mean, it felt like the pandemic was particularly weird time to market a book because even having it bookstores wasn't doing tons of good. It's like, it had to be like, you know, on, on social media as well, um, in a really sort of dominant way. Um, so I think that set your expectations is always a good idea. 
um, and then do as much as you can, but not so much that you, you know, you fall apart. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. There's no secret solution to it. Um, And I don't, you know, some people say keep a newsletter, but can you, you got to be willing to write it and write it, you know, consistently and have enough to put in it. It doesn't seem like you're just making stuff up. Uh, so I don't, I mean, it's just like, who knows, who knows? Yeah. I think, uh, the, well, to the newsletter point, I, I, I have one outside of my writing, but then also one and the writing one is very, uh, it's, it's actually like tied to this podcast and it's very sporadic, I would say right, <laughs> and yeah, when it probably. goes out. Um, but I do kind of like it from an experimental point, um, of like what, you know, trying different different things and sometimes it's just like hey here's like three quick like you can read this in a minute type of thing and then sometimes we'll try a longer one it's always interesting to see uh you know what what people respond to and obviously like every reader is going to be different um but it's i i kind of like it as a playground but yeah the consistency element of it is very difficult to have uh for sure (laughs) yeah i mean it's like you're doing a minor publication every month yeah it's like well i'm gonna write do the writing that (laughs) So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, but I think they do, I think they are, you know, it can be powerful ways of getting out there. And, you know, I think people who sign up for them are committed to following you. Um, and I think that, I don't know, I, I, I think it's just to do the degree that you can do it, do it. Yeah. And, and if you have fun doing it by all means, and then it's definitely worth doing. And I will say, I'm not someone who finds promoting my book horrible drudgery like it sometimes it's really can be fun <laughs> and um and then sometimes it can be drudgery but it's it's you know i think there are definitely writers out there that are like i don't want to you know i don't even like to post on i'm like well you got to <laughs> yeah yeah i think the the being dominant um and and everywhere sort of mm-hmm. side of that is is really important because i know like anytime i've posted about my book at least one person is like, Oh, I didn't know you wrote a book. And I'm like, well, I've, I've shared this like 40 times right, in the last right. month, but like, you just never know when people are going to be, you know, online at that moment or, or finally reading something that you maybe sent like a month ago. And so I like you, you do have to, to plow through it, even if it makes you super uncomfortable, like you gotta go for it. Yeah. 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 And, and uh, sometimes I'll get comments like, you know, I'm like, well, I mean, I know it is, it is a little uncomfortable. Um, but I mean, come on, social media, it's all about people <laughs> advertising their lives, you know? So it's like, I can't feel bad about, hey, here's my book, right? I don't move anyone uh, getting on there and doing whatever they want to do to tell the world about what they're up to, um, especially if they've done something meaningful, like write a book or whatever, you know, make an album or whatever. You know, it's like, that feels like really a legitimate use of social media versus, you know, here's my three-year-old's birthday party and that's great for the people who know but then it's a weird you know it's just a weird space um the social media is. so i don't think there should be any sh- very little shame <laughs> about yeah. promoting a book on social media <laughs> <laughs> now you also host the house of mystery yeah uh, radio show co-host Al's co-host co-host yeah. yes 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 i can't give you all the credit <laughs> but, yeah please don't because al is a machine he's amazing he's a machine he's shout out to al as well um but obviously writing for a novel a little different than writing for radio. So what does that 
sort of approach and like what do, what does planning for a show look like well for me very little honestly because <laughs> uh, i mean al really is the showrunner and essentially it's a it's an interview uh it's it's really an interview podcast more than a show um but it's also on the radio as well but uh it's just finding authors who we think are going to make or or filmmakers who we think are going to make interesting uh you know uh interviewees and um and he does a real uh sort of wide swath i'm not the only co-host um i since my specialty is crime fiction slash lgbtq fiction you know i that's who i usually am, am sort of saying hey al what about such and such writer to come on and and um but he is just very omnivorous uh, in his interests so there's like horror uh, there's sci-fi he's a true crime guy so there's, there's true crime um and then all sorts of other things um and so i think that it's just about uh showing up and having interesting questions and engaging the the individual and, and letting them you know and amplifying their book and, and getting the you know the the world out to know about what they're up to. It's really, it's really about promoting authors. Um, and, and he, uh, one thing that Al's sort of mission for the, uh, the podcast slash radio show is, is that he doesn't want to just do big name authors. He really wants it to be a mixture. He doesn't want to do just one thing. He wants it to be a real mixture. And so, um, I think that that feels good. Um, you know, we're not just amplifying the already, the already amplified, you know, um, which is, I, I don't know if you notice this, but the book world becomes, they, they, it feels like sometimes they choose like 10 books to just like let the whole world know about. And the rest of us are trying to like, Hey, wait, uh, I'm here. Um, and so <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, I, I like that that's part of the mission of the, um, the, the radio show. And then also just the LGBTQ. I mean, um, I'm passionate about that and, and talk about not enough amplification um, in the industry, just being public stuff being published much less being promoted. So mm -hmm. love it. Love it. And because all of this is not enough, you also are a teacher. Yeah. That's it. Uh, <laughs> and one of the, one of the questions I always like to ask, I say it's because it's less work for me, uh, you know, sourcing the question for me was a question you wished you were asked more frequently. And I really like yours of how does your teaching profession inform and inspire what you write? Well, what's so interesting is that um, I think there's a lot of connections between the two, but sometimes they're either seen like as things getting in the way of each other or, um, or I guess maybe in competition with each other. But, uh, you know, I, I think teaching, being a teacher, uh, at least being a good teacher, I think means you have to be a somewhat a study of human psychology. In this case, you know, since I teach high school and, and college age kids, it's sort of the teenager to the, you know, young, younger adult phase. Like, you know, who are these people as they're trying to find out who they are? Um, you know, hence I tend to fall into things that have somewhat of a, a, a character arc or a coming of age arc to the, to the stories because I, I spend a lot of time. So I think, you know, the, the you know, my, the, what I'm getting out of teaching and then what I'm writing about are always in dialogue. And I think in, in some ways, uh, you know, their, their aim isn't all that different. I, you know, I, you write a story to try to convey something 
Um, hopefully you're doing it in a way that allows the, the reader to, you know, be involved and think about it. You're not just sort of being didactic and telling them what to think is what I mean. And I think teaching is a lot of the same way. Your job isn't necessarily just to shoot a bunch of information at students, but to teach them how to think about that information and get them interested in it and want to think about it. Um, and so I really think those two things are aligned in, in, in what I do as a, as a writer and teacher are not all that different. Um, now, you know, teaching pays <laughs> a little bit more <laughs> than writing. Um, not a lot, a bit more, but a little bit. More, <laughs> um, so, you know, I end up, I, I, I do con- constantly look to finding more balance between my teaching and my writing. Um, instead of having to squeeze the writing in uh, around the edges as much as I, I do right now. And of course in the summer months, but um, I think I would like a little more daily balance around those two things, but it's something to work towards, but I don't, I don't necessarily think that they are all that different in some respects. You're almost off the hook here. We've got one more question for you and I'll even let you uh, sort of like a, it's a poor way to tie it. It's sort of like a mystery. You can choose your own path here. <laughs> okay. I, it's ways to be a good member of the writing community, or you could do your top three ways to kind of ostracize yourself from the writing community. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I think, um, well, to be a good member of the writing community, I think that uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is to participate, um, to get out there and uh, either online communities or go to conferences. I have to say I've gotten so much out of going to conferences. Now it costs to do that. Um, I get that not everyone can afford to do that, but if you can, or you allocate some of, you know, um, your advance to doing something like that, I think it's certainly worthwhile. I think, you know, becoming part of the community, you also find support structures there because writers need them. Um, you know, and, and then you're, by doing that, you're also, uh, I think, you know, you'll find opportunities to help people up, and people will then reach down to help you up. And that just, it's a nice, it's a nice feeling. Um, uh, and I think more and more I realize writers feel that they're in it together, not that they're competing. Um, <clears throat> I think another thing to do is uh, to realize that, and this probably is kind of on the same, the same realm of things, but participate in like reviewing each other. Uh, participate in, in, you know, if you buy a, a stack of books at a conference, you know, post it online, show what you're reading, that kind of thing, I think is mm-hmm. nice to sort of spread the word, spread the word, I guess. Um, and I think the last one, which I think is the flip side of maybe all the three that I would not do is, you know, uh, I would really go, I would go into the world assuming, um, especially in a social media space, um, assuming positive intent, um, come with a sort of a, 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 what I'm learning. I love these terms, scout mindset, where you're kind of inquiring about why someone might share a, you know, a troubling opinion, um, having a Twitter battle. I don't know if it achieves a lot anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe there's a point and sometimes we do need to sort of, um, you know, let people know that their thinking is wrong. But I think in the writing community more and more, I feel like we need to sort of open the door for conversations. Uh, so going at someone on Twitter is, I think I would prefer it to be more about, so why do you think that a question exploration? Um, you know, I think the thing not to do is just to start going at people, even if you disagree with them. 
Um, even if you know, you're pretty sure they're wrong, I think, you know, not that I'm saying you shouldn't think that they're wrong. I'm just saying that maybe that's not the way forward. Um, and so I see that in the communities a lot, things blow up all of a sudden and you're like, oh, there are all these people and they're almost, in a lot of ways they're like, they may not understand, or they may be making mistakes. Uh, they may be, you know, some, they may be sort of showing their homophobia or their latent racism <laughs> and they need to learn, you know, something about that, but just like calling them out and bringing them down is ultimately, I feel like they're just getting more entrenched in their point of view instead of opening and collecting. And I think that's true in the writing community as it is in the world. Um, and so I would like to see more conversations and the less sort of exp Twitter explosions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's always entertaining to me too, to see when one, you know, one side might, go off on like a, you know, a Twitter thread or something, someone comments, and then someone else replies like, Oh, that's so stupid. Like you're, you know, this is, this is the correct way. And then the, the first person is like, Oh, like, I didn't know that. Like, thanks. And then it like becomes like a wholesome moment right. out of it. And I, it's, yeah, it's definitely not as common as it probably should be. But every time I see that, I'm like, I was expecting that to go another way. So I'm glad, I'm glad to see it. Well, I always feel like, you know, when you're, you're, you're trying to have a conversation with someone that you're pretty sure they're thinking is off it's better to give them the opportunity to correct it um, or be open to hearing your side of it. And I think that's the, that the language we uh, more and more uh, I feel we need to take. Um, and I mean, this comes from also I, I, as a teacher, I do a lot of DEI work in schools and around education and talk to the parents about, you know, that kind of thing. And I just, you know, feel more and more that, that, the creating openness is the aim more than being right <clears throat> in a certain space. Um, and I think then you can have like an exchange that might change someone, <laughs> which is the goal, right? <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, John, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. This was a delight. And if people want to learn more about you, check out your books, where can they find you? Uh, you can certainly find me at my website, which is www.johncopenhaver.com. Very simple. I like it. Yeah, very simple. <laughs> you can't yeah, get it wrong. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Um, uh, most of the you just search my name and find me. But my Instagram name is johncope74. So um, I am out there. <laughs> I am out there. I like that. <laughs> Love it. Well, the Savage Kind out now. We got more coming up. We got the yeah. scoop on here. We've got more coming up. John, thank you again. This was a blast. Thank you so much for having me, Joey. Of course. And we got to end with a corny joke, as we always do. I, You know, a friend of mine just told me, why don't you write a book instead of doing all this stupid wordplay that you always do? And I said, you know what? That's a novel idea. Huh. Get after it today, people. <laughs> Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you're a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.